0: book of Colossians. Colossians, if you are unfamiliar with the New Testament, there's a there is an assortment of letters that Paul has written, and uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Uh, we remember that differently. For me growing up, I remember that uh, the order of those is, go eat popcorn. Um, for uh, other people, like my much, much younger wife, she remembered that because of General Electric Power Company. So I don't know how you remember the order, but it all, they all ended the same letter, so it would confuse me. When we get to the book of Colossians, we are in one of my favorite books, if not my favorite book, written by the Apostle Paul. And the reason for that is you... Look into it, and you see all of these things about God, but you don't just see things about God. You see how those affect you, and how your life, and how my life, how those line up with that. So, if we're looking at Bible themes, and those are always helpful, the theme of the book of Colossians is this, that Jesus is Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, over all of creation, including the invisible realm he has secured, and that this affects my spiritual development and your spiritual development. This is not simply a matter of we believe that Jesus is Lord, but the, the fact that Jesus is Lord, of all things, shapes me. Because I belong to him and the things that I have belong to him. Last week I was in Birmingham, Alabama, and I, I missed being with you guys. I was thankful that we have Jared here Uh, to preach in my stead. What a fantastic job. I listened to his sermon on my way home. I need you to know that he will not get to preach again because that was too good. (laughs) Jared is such a talented person, like triple threat. I am triple scoop. But you look and you, I'm in Birmingham preaching a sermon and there was someone there to, to move the stand for me And I left my iPad on that stand. And all week long, I've been thinking, how am I going to preach on Sunday morning without my iPad? Not considering things like, Jesus didn't have an iPad and he was okay. Uh, But I did not have this, so I'm asking myself, well, what am I going to do? Am I going to preach off of my phone? Well, I just turned 40 and my eyes can't see that anymore. Uh, Am I going to use Jared's iPad? Because his iPad is the size of the state of texas like it's divided down the middle east ipad west ipad (laughs) and then i remembered that there are these creatures at my house called children and and they both have ipads that i mean they're theirs but they're not really theirs right everything that is theirs is mine their stuff never stops being mine Ever, ever, ever. Can I get an amen, moms and dads? Just let your children know their stuff is your stuff. And if you want the keys, you get the keys. If you want the iPad, you get the iPad. If you want those weird shoes they're wearing, you get those too. But I'll just use my kid's iPad because it's mine. So we see this picture in the book of Colossians that God is Lord over everything, but in his lordship, I'm still able to live in a way that weaves with that. And that God has desired and designed for me and for you to live lives that intertwine with his lordship. So we're about to get 20 straight weeks of how does my life connect to the lordship of Jesus? In my victories and in my failures, am I seeing where those things are looped together? In my wins and in my losses, am I seeing that Jesus is Lord and that that shapes me? In my proactivity and in my reactivity, am I living as if Jesus is Lord? In the way that I treat others because of the way that Jesus has treated me, am I saying that I believe that Jesus is Lord? There's one verse in particular in Colossians chapter 2, verse, actually two verses, verses 9 and 10. That's kind of the central theme, the central text of the entire book. The rest of the book wraps around it. Let me give you those verses. Uh, For in Jesus the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him. Who is the head of all rule and authority? So for those of you who have a relationship with Jesus, God reigns and God rules in your heart. His fullness is there. So anything that we struggle with is overcomable, though that may not be a word, because Jesus is present in us. His reign, His rule. So we start the letter and we see that verses 1 and 2 go there with me. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother to the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Paul's kind of wordy. That's his way of saying hey y'all. So he lets the people of Colossae know. And then he opens up by praying for them. Now, to give you a little bit of background about Colossae, uh, because we need that, honestly, in order for us to understand the Bible text, we have to understand the setting from which they came. In the same way that for me to understand your life in full, I need to see from that from which you came. What shaped you? Because what shapes you, it affects the way you respond to things. So, so here's the world that Paul is in. Uh... Rome, kind of a big deal. If you've ever looked at the history book, there are probably multiple chapters on Rome, divided into different sections of their government. But Rome is an empire at this point, and they have locked the world together. And the way that Rome has locked the world together was through roads. The Roman road system, 2,000 years ago, and some of those are still in use today. So maybe for you, you're not really grasping the importance of these roads because we have a city shaped like a rose. We do. If you've ever looked at the overview of Lake Jackson, rather than using blocks, we use rose petals, which confuses me, but I look at the picture at H-E-B every time I go by. So, but we have the idea of the Roman road system connecting them and all that they own so that there is a culture that is constant. Now, it varies from place to place, but if you are in Rome, you're in Rome, the best example that I can give us as followers of Jesus when I talk about the city of Rome or the Roman Empire and how their roads worked is this. Imagine a world before the internet. The dark ages. Not remembering when the internet was just starting when Al Gore created it. (laughs) Not when you would have to do that thing called dial-up. Who remembers dial-up? Oh, that was dreaded. Here's what would happen. A hamster and a gerbil would race inside of your computer. (laughs) If you wanted to download an image, you had 45 minutes. You could go bake a cake. If you wanted to watch a video, you could bake a cake in Russia. But before that, when there was nothing, you had to look at a paper. That's not the world that we live in anymore. The Roman Empire united the world through roads. And they would have concepts that were present, though they may vary from place to place. But you would know, this belongs to Rome. Rome. In the same way that if we were to go to different parts of our country right now and we would use the word barbecue, there are different things that people do. Different styles, different presentations, but it's all barbecue. Though I grew up in the southeast and where I grew up, if it did not oink, it was not barbecue. It's what unites, and that's what the Roman road system did. The 4,200 miles across, just to give you a point of reference, the United States from sea to shining sea, 3,300 miles. When uh, the Roman Empire lasted 1,500 years, any history majors in the room who can tell me how old America is right now? 1776. Start doing subtraction, people. (laughs) Years. 1,500 years. They outlast us if we stop today, not saying we wanted to, by multiple times. Five times. So you've got this idea of Rome. This massive place. There's a deal called the Pax Romana that united Rome in a peace. So... The whole empire. Patriomana is the Roman rule that sits over it. So so they've got this in place. And, and for the most part, it was peaceful because you did not mess with Rome. Because you had saw, you saw what took place when people did beforehand. They were just ferocious, destructive warriors. But they have a reign. And if you're in Rome, there's only one Lord. And his name's Caesar. And Paul slips in, and when he slides in, he starts saying, No, he's not. Caesar's not Lord. And he's got this church that's there bubbling up, saying that Jesus isn't, that Jesus is Lord and that Rome is not. So he opens up with a prayer. Because M.C. Hammer, if he taught us anything, is we have to pray just to make it today. Verse 3, that went over some of your heads. I'm okay with that. I can work with this. (laughs) Verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints... Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth the gospel. Which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit. And it is increasing. As it also does among you. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras our beloved Fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and he has made known... Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He has transformed us to the kingdom of his beloved son. In whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. So Paul begins to pray. And I don't know if you noticed. But Paul prays differently than most of us do. Anybody drop 12 verses of prayer lately? For the most part, when we pray, not always, but we pray logistically. And we pray for God to do things. God, I have a house payment that needs to be taken care of. Could you do that? God, I've got kids and they're kind of dumb. Could you show me how to help them? God, I'm a parent. And I'm super dumb. Could you show me what I'm supposed to do? God, my boss, he keeps not making eye contact with me, and I think he's going to fire me. Could you make sure that he does not fire me because of prayer one, prayer two, and prayer three? God, I need a new car. Well, I really don't need a new car, God, but my tires are getting old. And my auxiliary cable doesn't work anymore. Could you give me a new car? God. God, I've got logistics for you. So, I want an affirmation of this. If you ever think about your prayers, or if you're thinking about your prayers right now, and you pray logistically, just so we're in this together, or you're going to make me feel weird, I want you to raise your hand. If you pray logistically. So, Here's what I want you to hear me say. That's not bad. But that's not the only way we're called to pray. Paul has no logistics here. This is straight strategy. Here's what I want God to do. Here's how I want God to do it. Here's why I know God can. Strategy with our prayers. It's the same language I used earlier. We're choosing to be proactive rather than reactive. Because reactive puts us in spots. Reactive's not always bad. But recurring reactivity is exhausting. Setting in motion, we're going to go after this. So so Paul gives us uh, why he can pray this way. And and we're going to break that down by this. We see that Paul prays and if you're a note taker I want you to write these things down if you're not a note taker I want you to put these in your phone if you're like I'm not doing any of that sorry. Here they are Paul prays one in God's favor. Verses 4 and 5 show us that Paul prays in God's favor we're going to look at that in a moment but we're going to go with all of them. Secondly Paul prays by gospel fact in God's favor or in gospel favor, by gospel fact or by God's fact. Paul prays for God's fullness or gospel fullness. And finally, Paul prays that we would live with gospel fortitude. Gospel favor, gospel fact, gospel fullness gospel fortitude. Now what am I when we say the word gospel just so that we're all on the same page uh, here's what that means. It means that we believe that the only hope of the world is the death of Jesus. Because every one of us were born apart from God and because of that, because of our sin nature and that very strange story in the book of Genesis chapter 3 with Adam Eve, nudity and an apple that sin has crept into the world and that every one of us are saturated by it. It is inescapable. We cannot walk away from it. So sin has locked us in and the hope of the world is that my sin was transferred from me to Jesus on the cross. Now, if that were the end of the story, that's a really bad story and we have a really poor reason for being here this morning. Because the end of the story is not that my sin died with Jesus, but that his declaration that that sin was actually dead is in his resurrection. So, when we baptized Maddie earlier, the reason that we don't keep her under the water... It's because of resurrection, that Jesus has lifted us and that we symbolically lift her out of the waters because we're lifting her in a reflection of God lifting us from sin and death. The gospel is that your sin has died on the cross of Jesus and that you were lifted to life by the, by the resurrection of Jesus. That's our story. That's the story of Christianity. That's the story of God working in us and for us and through us. That God has killed our sin and he has raised us to life. Now, that shapes everything. Notice what Paul prays here. We thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, verse 3, 4, and 5. When we pray for you. Now, the wording of that, if we're not careful, we can miss what it says. What he's saying is, when we pray for you... We can't help but thank God. Greeks is really strange language. That's why we use the phrase, it's all Greek to me. If we said it was all English to me, well, every one of us would agree with that. We know what that means. But when you see this structure, you have to wiggle it a little bit. And when you do, you see that what Paul is saying is, when I think of Colossae... My heart is overflowing with gratitude. He prays because the favor of God has fallen here. It is obvious that he's here. And the reason that it's obvious that the death and resurrection of Jesus are shaping these people is because of life. In particular, the way that they live their lives. Because here's what you see. Faith. In Christ. Faith is what's happening. The object of that is the person of Jesus. Love for the saints. We have a love for God. That is the. Or we have a love that. And it is made manifest. And it shows up in these saintly people. In these believers. A hope that's in heaven. So Paul says. When I think about this place. Man it's fantastic. Because. When I consider you, I can't help but say, God, thank you for them. Look, there are people in the world who are exhausting. You may have met one. You may be one. We can work through that. We have a life group for that kind of stuff. But, what you see this passage taking us to Is that when Paul is thinking about this church at Colossae. I can't help but be grateful. So you know you. I don't know the person in your seat as well as you do. When people think about you. Are they grateful? I can't help but thank God when I think of that person. Or the first thing that comes to their mind is. I really like that guy. He complains all the time. She never stops bickering. Would they quit asking for stuff on Facebook? What happens when people think about you? Because that lets us know if we're being shaped... In the way that God would have us to be shaped. By gospel favor. Paul's thankful for these people. And he is grateful for them while he sits in prison. I don't know if I could write words down if I was in prison. I would be in the corner praying for hope to break me out. That's my wife. Not not the ethereal concept of hope. But I would be, <laughs> Hope, come get me. Uh, I would be praying for rescue from that. But Paul, gratitude flows from his heart because he thinks about these people and there is much favor that's there. He greets all these churches in this way that he doesn't want them to, but when he locks in on this church, there's gratitude that overflows. Four and five, you see this. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven... Of this, you have heard it before. So we four and 3, 4, and 5 show us favor. 5B through, through verse 8 show us this about what God is doing here. That there's a fact that is present. Of this, you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, or what we just broke down as the good news of Jesus... Which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing. So the fact of the gospel is that as it moves forward, it is unstoppable. It is unshakable. It is unchanging. It is unrelenting. It is fiercely approaching the world. It's coming after the world And it is showing us a kingdom that cannot be shaken because our king cannot be shaken. It is what one scripture says, it is forcefully advancing. This is gospel fact. And so we look through history and we see where the church has seen perks. Places where it would bubble up and and overflow. And you can look through history and you can see When the gospel would make itself known. And we can look through the the time of the crusades and how weird of a time that was for Christians. But even in that, God worked. We can see how the gospel of Jesus was eventually brought to where we are today. We can see the trail of the gospel getting here. And as you will see times where it seems as if the culture of the day is trying to simmer the gospel... You see it bubble up somewhere else. So, so here's what we would say. So Europe, the gospel is kind of a, a cold thing. But there are pockets right now where you look around and you see the truth of Jesus making itself known. When you look at the spread of the gospel globally right now, this good news of Jesus, it's all over the world forcefully advancing. And it's showing up in places where it may not be communicated in the way that we as Americans would communicate it. But you see people placing their faith in Jesus because sin leads to death and turning themselves over to him because life is found in him and him alone. It's all over the world right now. Everywhere. We can look and see the gospel spreading, forcefully advancing this kingdom of God going forward, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and it is increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So God has shown you grace. So this gospel fact comes to us because of grace. Now our church is called Grace Bible Church. And there are times, if we're not careful, where we may overemphasize Bible with a, to a de-emphasis of grace. So what happens when we do that, not saying the Bible is not important, but saying that the only way that we can understand the gospel for, or understand the Bible for what it is, is because of grace. If your understanding of who God is, is, which is terrible grammar, that you... Because of what the Bible says have to do this and this and this and therefore everyone else has to do this and this and this and there's never a moment where you look and you see grace advancing. The gospel forcefully advancing through the compassion of Jesus then you have a misunderstanding of the purpose of the Bible by which you're understanding this. The hope of the world is that God's grace will shape the way we see scripture. And if you're intake of scripture is not shaped by grace then the overflow of scripture from you will not be gracious which means that this whole thing that we as believers believe has been distorted gospel is tied to grace bearing fruit holding for kingdom unshakable We also see this. Not only are we people who gospel favor and and gospel fact. We see how this begins to matriculate, a Peyton Manning word. Into our everyday. Because these same phrases, the same expression. Of bearing fruit and increasing Does not just take place in the corporate sense of what the church at Colossae is. It invades the personal. So if we believe this gospel to be true, it invades you. It shows itself through you. It does not mean that you're mistake free. But it shows that you see mistakes differently from others. What, what, what's happening here? Verse 9. And so from that day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the, knowledge of his, with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So what we see here is gospel fullness. So for you to live in the way that Jesus would have you to live then there is to be something in you that leans into who Jesus is and how Jesus has shown himself to you and you make him clear and known because of that gospel fullness. He is fully made known to you. And Paul even says, I pray that. I've not ceased to pray that. As the pastor of this church, as Jared and I pastor together and pray each week, we pray that the fullness of the gospel will express itself through our people. I pray that the fullness of the gospel will express itself through me. In the way that I treat my wife, in the way that I treat my kids, in the way that I treat, in the things that I pray for in regards to them, in the way that I handle their shortcomings. Because the way I handle their shortcomings will shape the way they handle mine. Gospel. Fully present in us as believers. Because grace is present in us. And grace is not informative, it's transformative. If your understanding of grace is not making you different, then it is not grace. Because it always shapes us. And Paul prays that these people would live finally, again, for gospel favor, by gospel fact, in gospel fullness, with gospel fortitude. See what happens in verse, verses 10 through 14. He prays that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. This is a colloquialism of Paul's day. It's a phrase that they would use to represent. I'm praying that these people will live their lives in a manner of the way that Jesus lived his. Will we get there? No. You will never, ever, ever be Jesus. That's why you need him. But in walking with Jesus, you should be more like him. So, I was on Facebook the other day. Wes Casares, one of our church members, he ran a marathon, in, and he averaged, if I'm not mistaken, like a three-minute mile six minutes regardless that's stupid (laughs) now Wes ran at Texas A&M and he is a cross country machine the other day after worship practice Wes who ran cross country me who runs the Taco Bell Wes looked at me and I said hey man I like those running shoes you're wearing He said, oh, you like running shoes? I do like running shoes. I love running shoes. I have a running shoe problem, some would say. He said, you like running? Don't like running. I'm against it. He said, this guy who runs cross country, that, that literally means across the country. Why don't you go running with me sometime? <laughs> My kid got this motorized scooter for Christmas. I think I'm going to start there, just chasing him down the road. I hope looked at. I, I, I'm telling Hope this because I got home. And said, you will not believe the audacity of that guy. <laughs> just because I liked his shoes, he wants me to sweat with him. Don't you think you'd be a better runner if you ran with him? Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Become like him. You're never going to get there. But by God's grace, we can lean in and people people can see a little bit more of Jesus in us. How much more do people see Jesus in you today than when you started following Jesus? Being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. For all endurance and patience with joy. I don't typically put those words together, do you? I'm going to be patient And I'm going to push through. And I'm going to do so joyfully. Giving thanks to the Father. Who has qualified you. To share in the inheritance of the saints of light. So your qualification to be. What God would have you to be comes from his strength his power his might but it begins to declare itself through you the concept that Paul is wanting us to not miss there is not a day where you will be generous enough for God to care for you You will never be compassionate enough for God to love you. You're never going to trick God into his favor by your behavior. But what we can know and what we do know is that as we lean into the person of Jesus who has graciously met with us those things Will be more present in you. And if they are not more present in you. Then we really should wrestle with what's taking place in us spiritually. Because God reigns and he rules. But his reign and his rule do not negate your responsibility. Believe that God is fully capable of saving every person in this world. And I believe that God has chosen to make himself known to the world in which we live through his people. And somehow there's this tension that's there of what God knows and what God does and how God does it. When you look and you see this idea of God being compassionate and loving and merciful At some point for us, as people who claim to follow him, compassion, love, and mercy should be more and more clear. Because we really do believe he's in control. You can give us really great semantics about your philosophy of the lordship of Jesus. But if the way that you live does not line up with that lordship, you really don't believe that. It's resting in who's in control. In whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. Your redemption is not that you would be a pastor who moved to the deepest, darkest, scariest part of the world. It's in Christ, in Christ alone, and in His control, which saves you, shapes you, and sends you. My mom was a hairstylist. She passed away when I was 16 years old. That's why my hair looks so bad these days. And uh, I remember that she would tell me stories about cutting the hair of children. How many of you have ever been at a great clip or a sport clip or any other place where they were cutting a child's hair? All right? Odds are about 85 to 15. That that child, if they could have gotten a hold of that, of those scissors, would have left a trail behind them. My son, Alder, loses his mind when he gets his hair cut. Until they give him a sucker, which is super weird because he's still got the hair particles on it and I'm not cool with that. But we just go with it because he's happy. Didn't claim to be a good parent, by God's grace. So... But my mom would tell me about cutting kids' hairs and she would cape them up and she had the spinny chair that you'd get dizzy in and she had the old school 80s hair dryers. And she said, all these kids were afraid. Every one of them. But you, you were never scared. And it hit me one day, the reason that I wasn't scared was because of my deep trust in the person who was in control. I would go to sleep because the person who was in control, I believed in the way they were going to shape me. We as Christians can play easy semantics because we have theological systems that begin to invade our lives and hearts. And many of, hear me say, I'm grateful for those. But if you're going to tell me that God's in control, it certainly needs to look like your life believes that. Let's bow our heads this morning. Jesus, you're good to us. And I thank you for that. And even in this space right now, I just want to ask, like maybe you're here and and you've never trusted Jesus to take your sin and to give you life. And you don't even know how to start that conversation. whatever way you want to word it something to the effect of Jesus I need you Jesus my sin has me stuck and I can't do anything about it so I want to give you that and I want to trust the life that you offer in return one more time if you're here and you've never placed your faith in Jesus and you don't even know how to get the words moving in that direction pretty simple Jesus I need you I'm stuck in sin, and that leads to death. But I want the life that you offer in return. So I'll give you my sin, and I'll take your life. Help me out. If that's you, could you just kind of put your hand up? I'm gonna. I, this room's small enough for me to see and know. See and know. Secondly, you get to look at your life. You know your life. You know what's happening in it. You, you know if it's being shaped by grace or if it is fighting against grace every day. Maybe you need to spend some time in prayer this morning as the band sings over us. You feel free to pray at the front of the room. That's okay. We don't do that much in here, but I, I want to invite you to. That's, the space is okay for that. If you're like, I'm not going to the front. Well, God's just as much in the back corner as he is up here. Maybe just make your chair a place where you kneel and meet with Jesus there because Jesus is your altar, not the front of a room. Lord, we thank you for today. I pray that you will work in the hearts and minds of our people that this word that you have shown us from Colossians. That we will be people who, when you look at us, we live in gospel favor. The people are grateful for encountering us. God, that we would care that gospel fullness was present in us. So we would seek you in your word. the fact of the gospel, Christ crucified and resurrected, that will sit heavy on us. And that God, with fortitude, we will walk forward being shaped by you. Enduring and being patient because our joy has taken hold of us and our joy Jesus that's you you are the one who is in control we ask all this in your powerful name the name that's above every name the name that saves as we sing I'm over here to your left if you need me let you stand as we sing together